Hello, once again, and welcome to another edition of Faith to Live By. I'm your host, Pam Christian, and I want to be sure to say hi to Patty and Aaron and Dave and Matt. These are a few people who have listened to my show and have contacted me. I also want to recognize Sheil, who graciously interacted with me on my blog. I truly do appreciate it when you contact me, so let me hear from you. Who knows, maybe I'll be giving a shout out to you next week. Now, if you've listened to my show before, you've got a pretty good idea of what I am about and what I'm not about. I'm not about faith fluff or Christian light, and I'm not about doom and gloom or Bible thumping. I have a genuine respect for people, and I truly desire to help them discover and live in life-giving truth. As both an apologist and a charismatic, I want to bring balance between rational thought and spiritual realities so we can gain spiritual victory over life's issues. But before I get into today's topic, I want to tell you something I'm very excited about. As we approach Christmas, I will be offering you special gift ideas and some impressive giveaways, too. I'll be giving away signed copies of my books, and I have the privilege of giving away five of the new Thomas Nelson Abridged Bibles, beautifully packaged for gift giving. Be sure to listen each week to find out how to participate with my Christmas giveaways. Today, I want to continue with the topic of advancing God's kingdom, but with emphasis on unity. In these highly contentious times we're living, the church has been woefully marginalized and considered non-essential in many areas of the country. COVID-19 has been used by godless men and women in positions of influence and leadership to impose their beliefs upon Christians. Churches have been kept shut down and issued limitations regarding how congregations can assemble for the better part of a year now. California may be the worst state in terms of the severity of the imposed limitations. I've said before, I'm very disappointed with the number of Christian pastors and leaders who have not stood up against the bias against the church. America was founded based on freedom of religion and freedom of speech, which are two of our rights as citizens in this great country that have been tremendously under siege for decades. It's past time for the church in America to stand up against the powers of darkness that seeks to bind the impact of the church, preventing us from being the restraining influence against evil. This year, as never before, we've seen the raging battle between good and evil. I believe God has allowed much of the atrocities we've experienced to wake up the church and cause her to take her rightful place. As believers, we have got to become united in discerning the times and knowing how to properly respond. Therefore, I want to devote this entire program to the topic of unity as we explore part five of Advancing God's Kingdom. For far too many decades now, the church has been on a steady retreat when, in fact, our instructions from God are to advance his kingdom. While Christians have kept to themselves in their holy huddles, for the most part preaching to the choir, the increase of evil has operated unrestrained and the precious souls of people Christ died for are at risk. Christ's commission to his disciples, given after he was resurrected, was for us to go into all the nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, instructing them in all Jesus had taught, and for us to do so by his authority and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is from Matthew 28, 18-20. And in Luke 19, with the parable of the ten minas, Jesus essentially said we are to remain occupied in working for his kingdom until he returns. Christians who have the mindset we should resign ourselves to the increase of evil based on what scriptures reveal about the last days and who believe we should just live 
peacefully among ourselves waiting for Jesus to rapture us all to heaven, have a few things wrong. Scriptures do state evil will increase in the last days. However, scriptures also reveal righteousness will never be overcome by evil. The instructions to be busy about our Father's business, which is to advance the kingdom of God, have never been rescinded. Living unto ourselves instead of going out into the world with the gospel of Christ is serious disobedience to what Christ commissioned and empowered us to do. By failing to restrain evil through winning and discipling of souls for Christ, we have brought pain and suffering upon ourselves and the world that otherwise benefits from the blessings God gives to his people. By retreating in fear, Christians have given more power and authority to the enemy of God, the same enemy Jesus gave his life to overcome. The idea of exitology and simply waiting for Jesus to rescue us when he's already completely saved us is dangerously close to rejecting Christ. The enemy of God has made tremendous inroads over the last several decades, pushing the church into the background and robbing us of the influence we are to have on the culture. Unfortunately, too few of God's leaders have stood up to the enemy. It's my belief God has let us bring our woes upon ourselves, just as he did with the Old Testament Israelites, until we realize our plight, humble ourselves, and call out to God for help. Last week, I spoke of the Esther and Mordecai anointing. God wants to pour out on those who will step up. These are the ones who will speak up to expose evil and corruption wherever it exists. We've been seeing God expose evil and corruption like never before these past several months, and it seems much more is yet to be revealed. The Hebrew year 5781, which began in September this year, is the second year of the decade of the 80s, which is the decade of the mouth, where God's people are to speak up and speak out. God is calling his people to speak forth life-giving words, to identify falsehoods and corruption, and to partner with him for justice to be done. Yet this year of COVID-19 has found us all wearing masks to cover our mouths. We've also been told to shelter in our homes. We've been restricted from meeting in church. In short, we've been muzzled. Our rights have been imposed upon, and we've been segregated apart from one another and certainly apart from the world. And during all this, we are bombarded by conflicting reports from media and medical professionals. We've witnessed increase of evil, violence, and destruction, and many have suffered death from various causes. Fear is greater in our society than any other time in our life. Why do you suppose that is? What is the purpose of evoking fear? What is the purpose in causing us to remain socially distanced? The enemy of God wants us divided and fearful so we cannot speak out and therefore we are impotent and without any effective influence on the world. God wants us united, faithful, ready and willing to speak up and therefore be the influencing power against evil and corruption that this world needs. God is ready to pour out the Esther and Mordecai anointing on those who want to partner with God. As I asked last week, once again, will this be you? How have you been personally impacted over these past 10 months? Are you succumbing to fear and retreating? Or are you outraged at the increase of evil and ready to take the stand against it? The Hamans of our day seek to overpower God's people and force us into oblivion. How does that personally make you feel? What do you sense God is asking of you in these present days? Our presidential election is just a few days from now. 
This is an opportunity for us to speak up and speak out and take a stand for kingdom values. Not only with the president we want to have represent us, but also by voting for our local officials. We are not powerless. Neither are we to be oppressed by the enemy and those individuals he works through to do his bidding. We still have a republic-style government, which means a government that is for and by the people. God is looking for us to promote his kingdom values in this election as never before, and we in this nation have a unique freedom to do just that. What will we say to God on Judgment Day about what we did with our freedom to elect God-fearing men and women to office? As I said last week, I believe strongly for a Christian in America not to vote is a sin. We will all reap what we sow. Be very sober in knowing the platforms and plans of the people you vote for, because we will indeed reap what we sow. We must take serious the fact that God wants us to be united in truth and purpose, standing against all philosophies and ideals that are contrary to the Word of God. Once we are united in voting our values, the next course of action will be for the Joshuas and Calebs to arise with the courage and the boldness needed to take back the territory we've given up. We must desire and pray for the spirit of Joshua and Caleb, who were more than willing to fight the giants with confidence God was on their side. The enemy of God is not going to give up the territory he's stolen without a fight. There can be no pacifism or conscientious objectors in the body of Christ. We battle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities and rulers in high places from the realm of the kingdom of darkness. But before we can be united in the fight, we must face the division among us. Johnny Inlow published a blog addressing our disunity that prevents us from victory in Christ. Inlow referenced the wisdom of God expressed through President Trump with what is known as the Abraham Accords which documents the agreement for peace in the Middle East between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. Inlow wrote, quote, I love the wisdom in calling the agreement the Abraham Accords, as it starts with what they have in common, Abraham, instead of what separates them. We could use this wisdom a little bit more in the body of Christ as well, rather than trying to find the heresy behind every biblical position. That mindset is why we now exceed 40,000 denominations and why, despite being the largest majority in the world, our influence and impact has been so limited. Our fear of ecumenism is so irrational that we have a foundation for unfettered division that could never align with John 17, Jesus' most heartfelt desire while on earth, that we would all be one as he and the Father are one. End quote. Years ago, I had the distinct privilege of serving as the teaching director for a local community Bible study class. Community Bible study is an independent, international, interdenominational organization that has been highly successful for decades. I was given some of the very best training I could ever receive to learn how to promote unity among people of the Christian faith without denying or emphasizing our doctrinal differences. The key is, as Inlow pointed out, to focus on what we have in common. The Apostle Paul was clear in his instructions for the early Christians to refrain from emphasizing differences, leaving each individual's conscience between the individual and God. Some Christians were okay with eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols, and others weren't. Some were okay with drinking wine, and others weren't. Some believed in shaving their heads, others would never do so, and on and on it goes. So let's take a few minutes to consider some of the many things we have in common. First and foremost, what unites us as Christians is what we believe. 
The beliefs we have that transform us in Christ are known as the five essentials of the faith, that if anyone personally believes, they are transformed and can confidently claim they are Christians. The five essentials of Christianity are, number one, salvation is attained by faith in Jesus alone. Number two, Jesus Christ was God incarnate, making him fully God, yet fully human, who died for our sins as the only suitable sacrifice to die in our place because he alone was without sin. Number three, Jesus was raised from the dead, a bodily resurrection, not just spiritual. Four, God is a unique deity, triune in nature, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who is the creator of everything, making him supreme over all. And fifth, the Bible is the inspired and infallible written word of God. If a person genuinely holds to these five beliefs, they are Christians with a born-again spirit given to them by God the moment they confess their faith in Christ. These five beliefs are essential to the faith. Anyone who holds to these is a Christian, even if they're Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Jew, or Gentile. It just doesn't matter. Beyond these five essentials, there are two other points known as cardinals. These are beliefs which are not essential for personal salvation, but are foundational truths to the Christian faith. They are, one, Jesus was born of a virgin, and two, Jesus Christ is indeed coming again. These two points are highly important to the Christians because they are the two paramount objective proofs for the certainty of the faith. The fact that the first has occurred, Jesus' virgin birth, gives us confident faith the second will occur, his return. Beyond Christ's virgin birth, there are many more factual evidences that support the Christian faith as the only way to be restored to relationship with God. The Christian faith uniquely rests on a firm foundation of objective facts that can be tested and verified. It is this objective evidence that makes it most reasonable to accept by faith that which we cannot see. These essentials, cardinals, and objective truths must never be compromised by any doctrine. There are all sorts of doctrine, which simply is interpretation of scriptures, within Christendom, which accounts for our various denominational differences. But so long as these interpretations do not conflict with the essentials, cardinals, or refute objective truths, then they are within the Christian faith. Doctrine that violates, adds to, discounts, or dismisses these essentials, cardinals, or objective truths cannot be considered Christian. Understanding the essentials, cardinals, and objective truths of the faith and agreeing to allow doctrinal differences that do not violate these three foundations is how we can be united in Christ with all of our differences. It would be good for each of us to make a list of issues that are beyond these five essentials and the two cardinals that have caused us any measure of division with our Christian brothers and sisters. Then take time to lift these issues up to our Lord, asking for his wisdom and guidance. We had some very wise guidelines within the Bible study that further helped us focus on what we share in common that I believe would be worthwhile for Christians everywhere to practice in everyday life. Being aware of who we're in the company of, wanting to be mature, gentle, and not causing our brother or sister to stumble over minor issues is simply a loving thing to do. Again, the Apostle Paul's guidance in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is something we should all practice. If you'd like a copy of the five essentials and the two cardinals I shared just a moment ago, you'll be able to download a PDF from the show notes. Here are some other things we all have in common, and I share this list fully aware there will be some Christians who disagree with me. So, I ask you to listen carefully, and if you hear something I claim we have in common, and you take exception to it, 
Be prepared to seek the Lord for wisdom and clarity. And if you want to contact me to discuss it further, I welcome your contact. Here are seven additional matters I believe we all have in common. Number one, we are all born sinners and enemies of God. Number two, we've all been blessed to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Number three, we've all been saved by grace, not of works. Four, we have the indwelling help of the Holy Spirit. Five, we have the life of Jesus as our example to follow. Six, we have all authority of Scripture to teach us about God and the Christian faith. And number seven, we all have access to the Father by the power of prayer. In the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses seven different church cities, and each one had its own distinctions, yet they were all recognized by Jesus as his. God expects we'll have differences. He's the one who made us each and every one unique. Even the fingerprints of identical twins are different. So let's soberly consider to expect people to be like us means pride is operating. Our goal as individuals is to want ourselves to become more like Jesus, not comparing ourselves one to another. As a charismatic, I believe in the supernatural gifts being accessible today. However, I am aware I have many brothers and sisters who don't believe in the gifts for today. That belief is not an essential or a cardinal. It could be argued that there are objective, verifiable evidences of the gifts being available today in, say, for example, a medically verified miraculous healing. But if I meet a brother or sister in Christ who does not believe in the gifts for today, the last thing I'm going to do is let the enemy of God have any victory by prying a wedge of division between us. Inasmuch as it is within my ability, I will stay at peace with all people. Like I wrote in the second book of my Faith to Live By series, there are many people who don't believe in miracles for today, but they wouldn't reject a miracle that is given to them. Maybe the prayers of those of us who believe in the gifts for today should be for our unbelieving brothers and sisters to receive a miracle. Now that would be a unifying event. Unfortunately, through the years since Jesus walked on earth, what God intended to be our simple understanding and life of devotion to Christ has become convoluted in a variety of ways, leaving us with different, even conflicting schools of thought within Christendom. And it is my considered opinion, the kind of differences that actually bring Christians to anger, strife, separation, and more, is nothing less than the work of the enemy. As Christians, we are supposed to be known by our love, Unfortunately, in our culture, Christians are known more for what they are against than what we are in favor of. This reputation, my fellow Christians, is one we have sadly earned. It is our disunity that is preventing us from advancing God's kingdom in the power and authority Christ died to provide us. It is the gospel message that unites all Christians. Any divisive doctrines that cause separation and division among Christians are nothing less than the tools of the enemy of God who fears the power we can have through unity. Imagine the victory power we could experience as a nation of Christians if we didn't give the enemy any rope to hang us with. Sadly, the division we've seen in our country this year is the greatest I've ever seen. But as I've said so many times, it is not a battle of politics. It is a battle of good versus evil, the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. We who profess to be Christians need to be exceptionally careful how we present ourselves so we promote unity and do not cooperate with the enemy who seeks to cause division. And in recent days and in the days to come, we are going to see God reveal more and more corruption so he can administer justice. 
God is revealing the corruption so we can be caused to wake up to just see how sinister things have become right under our noses. God is waking up the church so we will take our rightful place in God's kingdom plan and partner with him to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, imagine what could be accomplished if we were truly united. I believe God is exposing the corruption as a means to draw his children unto himself and to draw us together in unity. We've heard for years about the great end-time harvest of souls. Bob Jones referred to it as a billion-soul harvest. Many, including myself, believe we are at the beginning stages of that harvest. Referring again to Johnny Inlow's blog, he wrote, quote, We are in a true day of repentance. The Greek word for repentance is metania, also meaning to do an about-face. The year 2020 is when the 180-degree turnaround begins. The church has as much turning and repentance to do as anyone until kingdom conversation, kingdom structures, kingdom power, kingdom community are exemplified. We have 180s scheduled in our future. He says, we know how to check off the box for eternal security, but almost nothing about present living. We are the eternally assured, but presently befuddled and overwhelmed. We acknowledge the king, but live in ignorance of his kingdom. His kingdom on earth is his way on earth, his way in government, media, family, business, arts, education, as well as the church. We have entered a time on God's timeline where revival meets reformation meets harvest. The most contentious presidential election of our lifetime is right around the corner. But prophetically, I see this exposure of corruption to be a way God is uniting his people. God's people are being caused to see the extent of sin and corruption we have not properly restrained. The church, with the Holy Spirit, is to be the restraining force. So we are being caused to see how far removed we've allowed ourselves to be and begin to seriously work to promote God's will in partnership with Him. Inlow prophetically declared, quote, From 2020 to 2040, God will jumpstart this turnaround almost unilaterally. By that I mean he will ask for our cooperation with what he is doing, but will not be dissuaded even if we don't. For 20 more years, he is choosing our president in the USA, as it is on behalf of all the nations. After that, he will let us choose and trust we are on track enough to recognize his preference. But he is exerting his ruler of the nation's rights to do some unilateral things. He has the double rights of a creator and of the subsequent redeemer. Enlow continues, we are headed into the Luke 14, 23 day, where if those who are supposed to work with him won't, he will recruit from the highways and byways. He has a great supper to share with the nations before he returns, and entire denominations and movements could miss it without the 180s repent to his kingdom priorities. Jesus is still saying, your kingdom come, and he is still ignoring our cry, Please take us away. They were a tiny, microscopic minority up against the cruelest Antichrist regimes, and yet in John 17:15, Jesus said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. How much more, now that he has died and sent the Holy Spirit to us as a helper? Is this helper here to assist us in an exit plan or a kingdom reveal? Exit plans don't require help. Here are some things I heard or saw. Inlow continues with his prophecy, quote, Babies conceived in 5781 will live an average of 120 years. 
We will quit allowing the criminals of the Seven Mountains to kill us with harmful vaccines, toxic food, unsafe drugs, contaminated water, induced economic crashes, and artificial wars. The many suppressed cures for diseases will soon be made public. The many suppressed technologies for improved life and well-being will also be shortly released. A sure fit of the resources and wealth is about to come in waves as part of God's 20-year jumpstart plan. Kingdom billionaires will be a common thing. All will be working in an Isaiah 61 agenda of rebuilding ruined cities and nations. These will be ministers of wealth to be differentiated from just regular billionaires, those who still don't seek first the kingdom of God. Communism in China will soon die, and with it unleashed waves of new realities across the globe, like the sudden falling of the Iron Curtain, this too will come suddenly. End quote. I will have a link for you to read Johnny Inlow's entire prophecy and post in the show notes. I wanted to share that much of what he wrote to help any of you who are still fearful about the current events. I wanted to share to have others rethink their victim response to current events and being AWOL in the present day battle. As I've sensed and spoken before, we are not in the end times. We are more likely at the beginning of the end times. Yes, scriptures do speak of evil increasing in the last days, but as I said, take courage because evil will never outpace righteousness. You, my fellow Christian, and I must reconsider what we believe and why we believe as we do so we can be assured we are not deceived and giving leeway to the enemy of God. We must understand it's been the enemy of God working hard to bring division because he knows what we can accomplish in Christ if we work together in unity. Now, I want to bring to your attention how you can gain some products or services you want and help support my ministry at the same time. My sponsors and partners are hand-selected with you in mind. How would you like to prevent your personal information about your internet searches from getting into the hands of marketeers who then bombard your future browsing with too much advertising? Well, you can. For a special rate, if you become a customer of Virtual Shield, using my unique link to sign up with them. When you browse the internet with Virtual Shield, your personal ISP or router address is masked, preventing advertisers from stalking you. And you have the option of setting up a plan that could be as little as $2.50 a month. Be sure to check out the link in the show notes. What about the vulnerability of your children and grandchildren to online predators when they search the internet? With Movi, you can have the ability to be alerted when your child is exposed to undesirable content. You set the standards. You determine what specific material is considered undesirable, and that information will be blocked. This will allow you to rest assured your child is much safer and far less likely to be harmed or lured into a communication with child predators. Please learn more about Movi using the link in my show notes. Christmas is coming, and I highly recommend my friend Leanne Mancini's beautifully illustrated children's books that teach children ages 8 and younger more than just the Bible stories. Leanne's Adventures of the Sea Kids series actually helps children learn and grow in Christian character. This is truly a magnificent set of books for the children in your life. And speaking of Christmas, don't forget, I will be sharing with you how you can be eligible to win my Christmas giveaways with my future programs. Be sure to listen each week to find out how. You can also learn more about my giveaways and how to be a potential winner by following me on social media. Next week, I want to share the last in the series about advancing God's kingdom 
with a focus on promoting God's instructions for preserving society by upholding His values. Between now and then, please reach out to me. I really want to hear from you. Let me know if this program is a blessing or if there's a particular topic you'd like to have me cover. Feel free to contact me knowing I'm asking you to. My contact details will be in the show notes. This program, Faith to Live By, is a division of Pamela Christian Ministries, LLC, a ministry that offers many different goods and services. I invite you to visit my main website, PamelaChristianMinistries.com. I also ask you to support my ministry work by availing of the sponsors listed with the show notes or purchasing any of the books highlighted. I never ask you to give to me directly. Instead, I want to support other Christian businesses and give you an opportunity to enjoy what they offer, knowing it also provides some financial support for my ministry. By the way, I list all my show notes and bonus items on my website, faithtoliveby.com. On that landing page, there's a link and more information about my sponsors and partners. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel, and it helps people learn how to best apply their Christian faith. Be sure to follow me on Facebook at Faith to Live by TV, on Twitter at PL Christian, and on LinkedIn at Pamela Christian. If you'd like to be one of my insiders, subscribe to my complimentary bi-monthly e-newsletter. I offer you a choice of a free gift in appreciation for your subscription. And lastly, visit my page for this show at faithtoliveby.com to enjoy all of the podcasts we've produced so far. I hope you'll join me next week and tell your friends and family to listen right here on Faith to Live By, where we learn how to gain spiritual victory over life's issues. Until next week, I'm Pam Christian, asking you to remember, Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for Him. Great Supper